Hello, listener. Welcome back. Thanks for joining this week. I'm your host, Dr. Beth Tremel, and I'm a licensed psychologist and an associate professor of psychology at Indiana University East, where I'm also the director of the Master's in Mental Health Counseling Program. And my philosophy is to make words matter for good. So I focus on communication strategies and really being intentional with what we say and what we do to increase our connection with people around us. And I am really... (laughs) I say, I really do say this every time, but this is the truth. Like, I really do get so excited that I get to sit across from people, super smart people who connect with other humans in such a beautiful way. And you are going to love my guest today. Sierra Dater is back. You were on the podcast. Gosh, it feels like it was, it's been a minute. But you came and talked about anxiety and it was so good. And so I'm thrilled you said yes to come back. And we're going to talk about some tough things today, but honestly, some things that every single person needs to hear. Um, we're going to talk about the science that has just come out and how it really applies to our young people, but also what do we do about it as as grownups? So Sierra, Thank you for being here. And can you introduce yourself and tell us one fun thing about you? Sure. Um, Thanks for having me, Beth. My name is Sierra Dater. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I have a private practice in Petaluma, California, which is just north of San Francisco. And I run a program for girls grades third through 12 called Wise Girl Workshops and their parents. And so um, with that, One fun thing about me, um, some of you may not consider this fun at all and maybe want to turn off the podcast as a result, but I am training for a half marathon. So I am in month two of really buckling down and training. Next Saturday, I'll be running the most miles that I've ever ran in my whole life, which will be nine and I think a half marathon, something like 13.2, I think. 13.1, 13.1, I think, but 13.1. and then 26.2. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's how um, unprepared I am, but getting prepared. <laughs> well, look, now you are, you know, 13.1 is 0.1 less miles than what you had in your head. <laughs> oh, joy. That I'll be appreciating that when I cross the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you'll probably appreciate it more at like mile nine than yes. that last 10th. That last 10th, you're like, just you're the, the finish line, you can see it. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Training is tough. I mean, I was talking to somebody else this morning who um, is training for a full marathon and I've done a half and I'm, I like you was like, did it. And I'm not sure I ever need to do it again. It's more like I did that. I did a thing, you know, but mm-hmm. training for it, Sierra, I mean, it is even a half marathon running nine miles is, a, I mean, that's a commitment. It is a commitment for me, like squeezing in between. I had an 830 client and then ran five miles and I had to go to the gym because it was pouring rain and I'm not that dedicated to run in the rain yet. (laughs) And then jumping on this podcast and clients later. So it's like, you know, but I'm trying to be dedicated to it and really holding myself accountable. So that's been kind of fun. That's great. Well, you know what? You'll be really proud. You'll be really proud of that finish line. I will. And my dad's coming from back east. So um, my dad lives in Pennsylvania and I live in California. So it'll be really, really cool to have my dad at the finish line. It's been a long time since he's been to my like sporting events. <laughs> I mean, what a beautiful thing. I mean, this is not actually what we came on to talk about, but I want to actually pause here for a second because, you know, we're like grown up 
women, you Mm -hmm. know, and there's something so powerful about still feeling pride in things we do and still loving that our parents can be proud of us too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is fun. I think it's fun. I'm glad it's you and not me. (laughs) So (laughs) better off that way. So, all right. So, you know, last time you came on, you were talking about anxiety and I love all of that. And y'all are going to really want to check out her social media stuff because it's so good. I mean, there are so many things that you post that I'm like, yes, Sierra, that's such good. I mean, that's so good. You're so good at it. Okay. So we came together and said, okay, what are we going to talk about today? And the beauty of our world is that uh, we get to have science that informs us of how we can help people better. And I think every field has some version of science like that. And our science has just come out with some Some big news, big news, sad news, hard news, not necessarily shocking news to the work that you and I do, the stuff we see day in and day out working with teens and young people. But let's just start kind of digging in. So the CDC has just released within the last couple of weeks, released a new study and kind of the implications around that, particularly for our young people. So let's just start with one piece of it and let's dive in. So uh Yeah, not shocking. And yet still, I find the news shocking because I think to myself, gosh, it's 2023 and we're still dealing with certain kinds of issues. Um, So the CDC reported, um, this came out in earlier mid-February of this year, that three in five girls felt persistently sad and hopeless, which as we'll talk more about, it's a marker for a depressive symptom in 2021. And that's up nearly... 60% from 2011. And when you take that in those dates, we're not just talking about COVID time, right? COVID started what 2020, if I have my date, Mm -hmm. right? So we're talking about many years before that, and then including COVID. So it's not going up, it's going down and has before COVID. Yeah. So, you know, if I think about my own kids, Right. Mm -hmm. So I have four kids and two teenagers and two early elementary. And I think about my deepest desire as a mother is to grow humans who can live independently in the world. But more importantly, I want them to be happy. Mm -hmm. So I hear this statistic about sadness. And I think about lots of parents who may be listening thinking, wow, that's a lot of sadness. And we're not just talking like, oh, you know, I'm a little bit sad. This sadness we're describing is deep, Mm -hmm. deep sadness moving into oppressive symptoms potentially, right? I mean, that's what we're saying here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then when we look at the the CDC also talked about LGBTQ+, they omitted the T for some reason. I'm not really sure why that is. But they said in 2021, almost half of the LGBTQ plus students seriously considered attempting suicide, nearly one in four attempted suicide, and nearly three in four reported persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness, which again is that one of those depressive symptom markers. So the statistics are huge. And we're not even talking, they don't really address males in this study or, um, but 
we know that there are, of course, males who are feeling hopeless and sad. And while we might not have big numbers about them, it's it's pervasive with our youth. And you and I know the combination of sadness and hopelessness and the connection to suicide is really scary, right? Mm-hmm. For people who work, uh, you know, with young people, as we're trying to assess, you know, how, how's, how's my, how's my client doing? How are they actually doing? And we say, you know, let's talk about your sadness. And they say, I've been really sad. And then we hear about hopelessness. Our immediate response is, are they going to be safe? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit, like, how do I know the difference between just regular sadness and like maybe this deep sadness that we're kind of talking about here? Yeah. So um, how we know is when we really, when we, when we think about depression as a cluster of symptoms. So we can think of like, we all, maybe not you, but, but some people, many of us, we might throw around the word depression, like, oh, I'm so depressed. This yeah. thing happened. Um, that's kind of what I call little D depression, which is like a non-clinical term, but it, it's a feeling and we all can feel depressed sometimes and be able to use that word. But um, when we look at sort of like what we might call big D depression, where that's more like a, a cluster of symptoms, it's not just a feeling, although that can certainly be a part of it, but it is um, it, it's, it's also behaviors as well as feelings. And so when we look at the cluster of those symptoms, and and we can talk a little bit more about that, Beth, about, you know, sort of like, what are the boxes that one might check? Um, You know, you might think, well, my teen sleeps a lot, that can be a symptom of depression. But if that's sort of like their usual behavior, and there's not a whole lot else going on, we might say, well, that's probably not a symptom of depression. But if we have hopelessness, uh, sleeping a lot, losing weight or gaining weight, um, really agitated all the time. When we start to put symptoms together and we develop this picture, um, then we can say, well, that's that's definitely more concerning than somebody who says, oh, I'm just feeling depressed. I mean, it's certainly something to look at and evaluate and assess, but. Yeah, I love that. I love that you're talking about kind of this cluster of symptoms or this, you know, kind of pattern because, you know, essentially we're, we're saying this is how our brains as clinical folks work, right? We're looking at kind of this group of ongoing symptoms, not just like, oh, it happens, you know, once every month or so. It's when we're talking about big D depression, we're talking about more often than not for an extended amount of time, your kid has these cluster of symptoms that in many ways are debilitating in some way, right? So it's, you know, they don't want to hang out with their friends or they are, their grades are starting to be a problem, um, you know, other ways that it's kind of impairing them. And, you know, one of the symptoms that I tend to talk with parents about because they seem, I don't know if it's like the scariest, but um, a, one additional symptom that your teen may experience is not necessarily thoughts of suicide, though that can be, right? Like wanting to harm yourself can be a symptom of depression, but so can just thoughts of dying. So I have a lot of teens. I don't know, Sierra, I don't know if you do too, but teens that I've worked with where they just kind of like think about what would it be like to die? What would be, who would be at my funeral? 
what um i wonder if it would be harm like if it would hurt to die so thinking about dying a lot can also be one of those markers of depression that parents may think why is my kid thinking about dying like they've got so many things going well for them why on earth would they be thinking about dying and it's not necessarily that your child wants to die it's just that's how their depression is showing up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, in terms of teens, when we look at development, they do start to ask these existential questions, right? Like, what would it be like, which is different than I want to die. You know, think about sort of like how small we are in the galaxy. And, you know, kids will start, teens will start to talk about these things because they can think more abstractly about the world. And they're learning a lot more, which which is really great. But I know as a parent, it can be scary if your kid starts to say things like that. And so, you know, what, what parents want to do is, is if they can, they just want to clarify, like, is this something that you're really thinking about? And I know that it's really hard for parents to ask those questions. Um, As I talk with parents about sometimes it's hard for me to ask about suicide, because I just love, I love children and teens so much, it's really hard to hear that they're not doing well, except that, um, we as as both professionals and then as parents, like we are the help for our kids. So we really have to ask, like, is that something you're really thinking about? Um, is that something that you have ever really wanted to do? Have you ever had a plan um, that we want to start getting some information? And they might, you know, just be like, no, you know, I was just like curious, just thinking about it, which is different than I'm going to do something about it. And then if you pair that with other symptoms, like you had talked about, Beth, you know, just like loss of interest in things, like I don't want to hang out with my friends, or my grades are really dropping. It's like when we start to pair those ideas with all these other clustered kind of symptoms, then we're really looking at depression. Okay, so I know there may be a listener out there who um, is thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this for my kiddo you know, but I'm worried that if I bring it up, I'm going to make it worse. Mm-hmm. What do yeah. we say to that parent who is is worried about that? Because I hear that a lot. I, I don't want to talk about suicide because then I'm worried I'm going to plant the idea in their mind. And that, and like kind of being worried about bringing it up is a myth around talking about it, right? So how do you, how do you reassure that parent? Yeah. Um, it, it is a myth in terms of bringing that up. And again, we, we are the help. Parents are the help for their kids. And so kids are going to say yes or no or get quiet. And I encourage you, if you have a kid who gets quiet, mom, dad, just quiet your mouth for a minute and, and just see what comes next. Because a lot of times as parents, we get anxious and then we start talking for our kid and we kind of steamroll them and then we don't give the, them the opportunity to talk. So um if you are at all concerned, and even if you aren't concerned, because, you know, I, I recently gave a talk, and I'll give you more information about how to access this talk, but I re- recently gave a talk on depression, teen angst, sadness, and depression, and what's the difference, and we go more in depth on this topic here that we're addressing. But one of the parents in the Q&A section was just like, hey, there's these people, you know, we're seeing people, famous people who are, you know, nobody has any idea and they end up killing themselves. Um, 
I'm scared. You know, what do I do? What if I don't know if my kid is? And so, you know, there is, I told her, unfortunately, there is no guarantee, but we, we have to ask. And I encourage you, even if it looks like your kid is really good on the outside, go ahead and just check in with them anyway. Like what's going on with your friends? Do you feel sad that we can start asking questions? And that doesn't plant the seeds. You don't ask somebody like, are you in a bad mood? And all of a sudden they're in a bad mood. It doesn't really work that way. So we need to be asking the questions. I love this. And um, I'm reminded of another uh, another episode I did with a marriage counselor, Liz Polinsky, and she talked about doing a monthly marriage checkup, right? So there's a marriage meeting once a month. And so I'm thinking about this in a very similar way. Like, how about once a month, you intentionally set a meeting on your calendar, prioritize it as you would any other appointment on your calendar. And check in individually with each of your kids, Um, ask them, make it a a mental health checkup meeting, ask them what's been going on and how are they, how is their, how are their friends and how are they doing? And if you have teenagers, you know, I tend to encourage parents. I want to hear what you, what you tend to say, but I, I encourage parents to say, have you ever thought about hurting yourself? And then to your point, I love that you said this, then you have to pause. You have to close your mouth and mm-hmm. fix your face and make sure that they can answer that question honestly and go into it practicing. I mean, I, I had this whole series on um, how to have hard conversations because we have to prepare so that if your kid says yes to you, yeah, I've had thoughts of hurting myself, that you don't make the, oh my gosh, what am I going to do face? Like you cannot have that face. Otherwise, the next month's check-in is not going to go well. So I tend to ask them, you know, straight up, have you ever had thoughts of hurting yourself? If my kids are old enough to know the word suicide, I might even ask them, have you ever had thoughts of suicide? Have you read about suicide in the news? If we don't have that open communication, our kids don't think it's an available topic for communication. Right. And to add to that, that question of have you ever thought about it? And then we, Beth, I would encourage the next question to be when, Mm. because if I thought about that three years ago, that's different than I thought about it yesterday. Right. So we can, we can explore what was going on three years ago, but that may not be more imminent if I haven't thought about it since three years ago. And, and now I'm thinking about it today. So we really want to get a timetable Yep. About when things are, when, when thoughts are happening. I love it. And, you know, I think, I guess while we're on this topic, if a parent who's listening, their child says, yeah, I have had thoughts like that. And yeah, I've had them maybe in the last month. Then our next question is my next question may be any version of, you know, hey, do you do you have a plan for how you would do that? Have you thought about how you would do that? And I sometimes ask clients, do you actually want to die or do you want to just stop hurting? So I don't know if you have other prompting kind of questions that you share with parents around, let's say, um, you know, a parent who's listening has an affirmative response and they are fixing their face and they're listening empathetically and they are taking it all in, even though on the inside we're freaking out. What's our next question from there that you might share? 
Yeah. Well, I think if a kid's saying yes, and we're talking recent time, I think there would be an invitation at some point to go and talk to a professional. And um, some teens I know are going to be adamant against it and are going to really refuse to go. And other teens may be really open to it because they know that they need some help. And I know those are sort of of like two different bridges to cross, but we want our kids to get help because while you can ask these questions and parents, I really encourage you to be asking these questions, but your kid is going to need some support beyond you, but you are definitely a part of the help that they need. And simply by asking that question, as you pointed out, Beth, you open the door for your kid to be able to talk to you. Because one of the things that can happen is hypothetically, let's say there is an attempt, or hypothetically, um, this comes out in therapy, or a friend comes and talks to you about it, um, you are going to start talking about suicide. So why I, I would encourage like, let's not wait until something terrible is happening or happened. Let's start that conversation now. Yeah. And so um, yeah, I, I love that. And to the parent who's thinking, how young is too young? Mm. I I tend to encourage, you know, don't think chronologically. Think about your child individually and their level of maturity. And if they're able to read headlines, they're able to have this conversation, particularly if you do it in a connecting, I'm listening, we're here to talk together kind of way. Um, early teens, for sure. Um and maybe younger if your child is mature enough. I don't know. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I like what you said about not thinking necessarily like chronologically. Like what shows are they watching? What is in the, what, like what's in their field, right? There was yeah. the recent famous um, dancer who died. And forgive me for forgetting his name, but a lot of kids, a lot of youth knew who he was, right? It was yeah. a big deal. And that would, that got on a lot of kids' radars that maybe wouldn't have otherwise. And so I would say like, wh what's in their field? Um, what are they watching? What are they listening to? And, and being able to use that as well as chronological age. Yeah. And, and why not use it even as a starting point? for a parent who is feeling a little bit nervous about this conversation, maybe use it as a starting point. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. And one of the things um, that I recently talked with parents, I mean, I've talked before about, but just with this upcoming talk is a lot of youth think if somebody's really contemplating suicide, they are going to get to the point where they may believe that the world is really better off without them, that they are, that they're, um, a real hassle for you, that life would be easier. And so I really encourage parents to tell their kids that like, hey, if this is on your radar, here's something I want you to know, that my life that I would be devastated, and I wouldn't just get over it. And if you have any reference point, like you remember when grandpa died, or our friend died, or if you have somebody like multiply that by 6 million, like this is ne like, I will never, ever get over this. And so if you are thinking that my life will be better off without you, I want you to know that that is never going to be the case and really um, making sure that really kids really know that. Oh, that's so good. And such a good, I mean, just such a great tangible thing for folks listening to say, it might crush you to hear that your child thinks 
this would be true, right? I mean, it, it would crush me if I knew any of my kids were like, well, I'm just a hassle to you and you would just be better off without me. But I absolutely agree clinically, like their mind, the depression takes over and convinces them that they are a burden and they that everybody in their life would be better without you. And so parent, don't be crushed by that. Be inspired to have some additional uh, conversations around how much your child means to you. I think sometimes we forget to um, share what our kids mean to us because of the day in, day out, practice here, practice there. They're getting on my nerves. I'm punishing them for being on something inappropriate on their phone or just being on their phone in general. And I, you know, I do think it's easy to forget to let our our teens, especially, know how much they mean to us. Yeah, especially if, you know, one of the symptoms um, of depression is increased conflict. Now, that's not true for everybody. There are lots of teens that may be sad and withdrawn, and there's not a whole lot of conflict. And there are other teens, their depression is going to present as really agitated, really angsty. Um, and there might be a lot of family conflict. And if family conflict is something, you know, if you're arguing with your kid every day or most days of the week, they might feel that that they that you might be better off without them given that. So if conflict is something that's there in the moments when you're not having conflict, that would be something really valuable to share with your kid. It's so good. That's so good. And conflict also includes disres- disrespectful teenager behavior. Yeah. You know, so now that that again doesn't always have to be true in depression. Sometimes they're just being a disrespectful teenager. But again, if it clusters with these other symptoms and they seem kind of angrier and grumpier and just more disrespectful, it may be time to, to think about how do I intentionally have a different kind of conversation with my kid? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because a lot of times with these, with these big depression symptoms, we isolate them. We're just like, oh, my kid is you know, they're getting bad grades. And we might just isolate that, like they're not doing well in their grades. But I encourage parents, like, let's take a step back. And then may if you if you Google, like adolescent depression, or maybe Beth, I can give you a slide on this, um, about what the the symptoms are for adolescents. It's like if we if parents can step back and just kind of zoom out, not just on the one particular symptom, but look at them all and like, oh, you might you might see a, a bigger picture. Or your kid just might be struggling in math, and that might be it. And that's okay, too. Um, But just in terms of deciding whether or not something's depression, um, or just maybe something behaviorally or emotionally separate from depression, looking at a list like that can be really helpful. I, I actually couldn't love that recommendation more because something I say a lot about depression, I know I'm sure you do too, because it's so pervasive, is our... Our idea of depression mm-hmm. comes from our experience and or lack of experience with depression personally. So we might have somebody in our lives, you know, maybe an uncle who was depressed. And now I look at my teenager and I compare those two things and I say, well, uncle so-and-so was depressed, but my kid's not depressed. They don't even look the same. Mm-hmm. And that's the tricky part about one about depression in general, right? It's this cluster of symptoms, but not every patient looks exactly the same. Not everybody with big D depression looks exactly the same. We have some commonalities, but 
you know, your depression may show up differently. And, and certainly our kids' depression shows up differently than what maybe we have seen. And so I think it's, it's such a good reminder to, to, to say to all of us, like, hey, um, just because we all have an idea of what we think depression is, let's look at what the checklist is before we just go ahead and dismiss that my kid's not depressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's really valuable to think about. And especially because you're, you're going to have some kids that might know the word depression and come to you and say, yeah, I think I'm depressed. And then you're going to have other kids that are telling you things like, I hate my life. Or yes. they might say things like, um, I just don't like soccer anymore. Right. There, there's they're they're giving you clues and we might just latch on like soccer. Well, you love soccer before, and you might just get hooked on the soccer bit. But we really want to take what our kids are saying. And if it feels applicable, just to kind of step back again and take a look at that list, like, okay, so she doesn't want to do soccer and her, you know, her best friend um, and her aren't hanging out anymore and her grades are slipping a bit. And yeah, it is really tricky. And it's also such a good reminder because clearly, you know, this study is saying 50, 57% said they've said they said it that i felt persistently sad or hopeless i mean so this is happening in your living room this is happening in your living room when your kid has three friends over the likelihood of this happening for or around your teenager is very likely it's a very it's a very strong likelihood so the other piece is Okay, so maybe my teenager's doing okay, but she's got a friend who's not. I know you do a ton of work with teen girls. I have to believe that that's part of your message too. How do we teach these girls, okay, we need you to be well, but then also how can we help girls know how to be support for the other 57% of their friends who may be struggling? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I always tell, not always, but often tell teens who are dealing when they when they're talking with me about a friend um, that oftentimes that friend needs more support, and it can also contribute to the teen who's maybe doing well. It can put a dent on their mental health. And and granted, you know, we want friends to be there for friends for sure. But I tell youth, you know, I've, I've, I went to college and got a master's degree. I studied this for six years. So um, the 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 idea that you're supposed to take care of your friend in a way when they need mental health help um, is really a big ask of you. So, um, you know, letting them know and encouraging their friend to get into therapy, to talk with an adult. And then I also encourage them if that friend is really resistant to that, um, that they can go and talk to the school counselor, even just like slip a note with that friend's name so that it's anonymous if you really if you're worried about any backlash that comes. But the best help that you can give your friend in a being supportive, but b getting them the real help that they need if they're dealing with depression. I love that. And to the listener, um, you know, letting your child know that being a good friend means getting them the right help. It doesn't mean keeping their secret. It doesn't mean holding that information and carrying it on your own. 
which I've had kids come into therapy for because they're so weighed down and they're so concerned about keeping a friend safe who's who's talking about suicide and they got to stay up all night and you know a you know again wonderful friend that you would show up for someone in that way but if you have to stay up all night for a friend who's contemplating suicide it's obvious that they need they need more help than relying on a teenager to be their life source it's so good. Okay, so we didn't even get to talking about the LGBTQ plus uh, part of this, but I'm going to link to the to the study. But I want to mention briefly because I know you've got um, you've done some of this work too. One of the other pieces uh, about this study was in particular around sexual violence and mm-hmm. girls' experiences with sex. So, can you share a little bit about? Um, either, you know, what we know from this and maybe some of the work you you have done, are doing, and even have available for listeners on your website? Sure, sure. So uh, one of the statistics that came out is uh, more than, and this is from the CDC again, that, that, um, that study. So more than one in 10 teen girls reported they had ever been forced to have sex which is up 27% since 2019, and the first increase since the CDC began monitoring this measure, uh, which I'm not sure when that when they started monitoring, but I'm sure the study says that. And almost one, an additional statistic is almost one in five teen girls experienced sexual violence in the past year, a 20% increase since 2017. So again, not just COVID related here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the ways that I work with girls is in my wise girl workshops program, I offer a, a workshop called intimacy, consent and safety, and really help girls understand the risks that are happening, as well as empowering them around how to be safe with their peers, Um, how to really work together in terms of being safe when they're out together, especially if there's alcohol or drugs involved. And I work with them on really being able to say no or find ways to get out of situations when it feels hard to say no. Because it really is hard to say no if you can all flash back to being a teenager and maybe you really like someone and they're giving you some attention or sort of doing anything to get attention. Um, and that's not even that's that's not even the only scenario that we can come up with here. There's lots of um, scenarios that someone might be in where they are uncomfortable, where they're not ready to do something. And so empowering girls about how to say no. So in this workshop, we really find a variety of ways to say no from being just sort of like verbally aggressive to also saying things like, you know, my, um, you know, I need to go watch my friend. She's had too much to drink, just finding ways to get out of situations and really practicing those as corny as that might sound. Because if we've never said it out loud, it's going to be really hard to say it in the moment. So really getting girls practice on a million ways to get out of situations, um, I think is really helpful for them. I refuse to like end the episode without you sharing those pieces because it's just so powerful. I mean, mm-hmm. teaching our uh, young women, especially 
how to say no and then practicing, I could not agree with you more. I mean, I have had grown women in the therapy room who've said like, I've just, I'm so bad at saying no. I just am so uncomfortable with the conflict that comes. I just don't want them to be mad at me. I don't want them to be upset with me. I don't want the pressure that they're going to try to talk me into it. I mean, even as grownups, that word is so hard. And I think about some families that um, most of us discipline, most of us parent in a way where we expect our kids to obey, which means they're not saying no, (laughs) right? So we're not priming them to say no, Like, right? If my kid says no to me, I'm like, "Mm, excuse me, I'm sorry, Um, eating your food, um, taking a bath, uh, that's not like a no kind of response. (laughs) So I think about that lack of practice that they're getting at home, unless we're really intentional about saying, yeah, you've got to learn how to say no here, sis. And and men too, but but specifically we're talking about women right now and girls. So mm-hmm. powerful, so powerful. I'm sure you're having so many powerful moments with those young women in your groups. Yeah, it was um the I ran this workshop last spring and it was a lot of fun to see girls. Um, you know, everyone not everybody knew each other. Um, they come from all different counties. And so girls, you could tell just feeling really sort of anxious and awkward to be there. But by the time we're done with this workshop and really just seeing them feel comfortable being able to say no in a variety of ways and really empowered to do so. So I, my, my hope is that it's making an impact and really supporting girls against this devastating statistic. Ugh. Oh my gosh, we have so many things we could talk more about. Um, Until the next time you can come on, how can people reach you and find more about Wise Girl Workshops, but also just the other work that you do? Yeah. In terms of if you were interested in learning more about depression, on March 15th, I have a live Zoom workshop at 7 p.m. Pacific time. And it's from 7 to 8. We're going to talk about the differences between depression teen angst and sadness, like what's normal. We're going to talk about more about those symptoms that we've touched on today, uh, as well as really acquiring some skill to be able to talk to your kid and really ask questions uh, when it comes to self-harm and suicide, as well as then what do I do? How do I get the help? So we're going to talk more about that. That workshop is also, if you don't want to come live uh, or are are unable to, if you go to the Wise Girl Workshops website, you'll be able to find that workshop on-demand workshop page. So that's available for purchase there. And then in terms of therapy, I do have a separate therapy practice, and that's sierradater.com. It's my first and last name there. And I uh, provide a blog there with lots of resources um, about a variety of topics for all ages, uh, teens included. Okay. And on social, um, wise underscore girl underscore workshops, at, for Instagram and then wise girl workshops on Facebook. And I do a little bit of TikTok, but not, not really. So don't even bother. <laughs> I've tried so many times to like, I know. I know that's where they are. I mean, this is the trouble, right? Sierra, like, you and I who want to reach teens, it's like my 42-year-old body just has to be on TikTok. Yeah. Mm, I don't like it. It's a lot of work. So finding, you know, how to reach people. And for me, most of my work is 
much as I work with teens, most of the things that I'm talking about are really geared towards parents yeah. uh, as a result of all the work that I do with teens. So, so those social media stuff is really more directed towards parents. Awesome. I'm so glad that you came today. Um, and while it isn't the perkiest of topics, what a powerful episode to share this um, invaluable information. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Beth. I mean, I just can't emphasize that like we providers, therapists, uh, and parents, we, we are the help. So we really just we cannot put our head in the sand. Our our youth are telling us that they really need our help. And so we need to show up. We need to show up. I love that. That's so good. All right, listener, thanks for joining. And until next week, stay safe and stay well. Sierra, thanks again. Thanks, Beth. Bye-bye. Bye.